this digital world digitization of the workplace and uh, with the advent of the four forces okay health security digitization and the other two forces right away mm-hmm. globalization and all of these things has changed the very nature of work work going to work the word going to work doesn't exist anymore you work on demand asynchronously hmm? not synchronously asynchronously on demand when needed all of these things and digitization public health crisis demographic changes has caused the uprooted the very foundations of how work gets done that's the fourth generation that's the fourth phase of the industrial revolution is the digital revolution of the nature technology is become a integral part of the work as such as such just like in the first three phases employers the employer employee relationship needs a complete redo complete redo a completely different paradigm okay and that's what our book is all about a functional approach to hr will does not is not relevant today in the digital world Hi, Dr. Bob. We're uh, back today to talk about the digital age, uh, more about our book, of course. Um, the four phases of the Industrial Revolution, huh? Yeah. Uh, I have to tell you a story, Bill. Mm-hmm. I have, a few years ago, I had was in Oxford University for a summer seminar. And as part of the seminar, they took to us to a place called Irons Bridge Irons Bridge it's in uh, near Birmingham England that is where the first industrial revolution started mm-hmm. yeah, i think that's in the 1600s or 1700s Irons Bridge they found deposits of iron ore uh, around that area and some very interesting story some entrepreneurs who happened to be mormon by background okay they discovered this source of iron ore raw iron ore and they started a blast furnace operation to melt this iron ore and make it into steel hmm? <clears throat> and the first steel making factory was started there which started the industrial revolution the first industrial revolution that is the birthplace of the first industrial revolution when rural workers previously farm workers and rural workers started coming into these cities birmingham was a steel city 
and they had all these blast furnaces and the rural village workers were coming into the cities, populating the cities and working in these factories. The tour guide was taking us around, told, told us as a struck state in my mind. The worker-employer relationship was very, very, very contentious because the average lifespan of those factory workers in the first industrial revolution was between 17 to 18 years of age. Wow. Hmm? I know. Even the, even the owners of those blast furnace iron building, iron factories, smelting factories, their lifespan was 35 because the workplace was so primitive. They were exposed to so many poisons in the air that they have a very short lifespan. Okay. Yeah. They had a very short. So the working conditions were very tough and there was very primitive. There was no employer, employee protections, nothing. That's the advent of the first industrial revolution. Hmm? Yeah, I, I, I uh, tend to look at business from the ownership standpoint. I'm, I'm more of an entrepreneur mindset, business owner mindset. A lot of my classes, I get to talk about helping students understand, instead of being a worker, what the bosses think of, where I you've had a, quite a career in HR where you think of the worker perspective. So I think it's a, it's a cool partnership that you and I have because I'm thinking when you told that story that this whoever discovered this iron ore is going oh my gosh we could make so much more we could produce so much more exactly. we talked about in a previous video about productivity oh my gosh i could do so much more i just need i can't do it myself i'm gonna have to hire somebody maybe i ask my neighbor to help me out or eventually they come up with this idea of hiring people hiring workers and it revolutionizes the the business, uh, the production productivity, right? What you're saying here. Yeah, that's, that's where the first industrial revolution started in these irons. They, what they did, they smelted this iron ore and into making it into steel. And there is a bridge there that is completely made of iron, hmm? which is from these early factories. <clears throat> Yeah. What happened is there were no worker protections, as you, as I just told you, the worker lifespan. There were the workplace was so unhealthy that they had a very sixteen to seventy year lifespan. The average worker and primitive conditions. Every day, twelve hours a day, in front of a blast furnace. So that's the start of the Industrial Revolution, late 1700s, early 1800s. Oh, this picture doesn't make it look like it was very tough. This, uh, you got yeah, this dresses and... <laughs> you should put a picture of Ironsbridge. All right, I will. They have a museum there, by the way, of the early factory when the Industrial Revolution. This changed society a lot because as i said these factories started coming up primitive factories though and the, they were paying better than subsistence wages so masses of people 
move from rural areas, village areas to the cities to take these jobs. And the, there was supply of labor was so high that the employers could hire and fire at willy-nilly and not provide any protections for the workers. That's how the Industrial Revolution started. Then we moved into the second phase, okay? You there was the your Iron Bridge, the birthplace of the Industrial Revolution. See. So there's a, a website here at timetravel.britain.com slash articles slash town slash Iron Bridge. And this person. The whole story. The whole mm -hmm. story right there. Yeah. And uh, now put the second re industrial revolution on. Yep. So we can talk about that. That was the, the period was 1800 yeah. to 1900. Masses of railroad, all these factory made goods had to be transported. So railroads grew, mass transportation. Thomas Edison. Henry Ford, you know, these guys, uh, man, I, from a business standpoint, we we talk about these heroes of the assembly line, the, the Industrial Revolution, that the, the amount of things that we could produce now, uh, electricity, it just changed people's lives comparatively, right? So this, this was, I think a lot of times people think of this combined with what we were previously talking about as the Industrial Revolution. But really, this time period changed things dramatically, right? The mass yeah. transportation of goods, you could really get supplies in now and supply lines. Um, this so uh, exploded again. There's another fascinating story in this period, okay? The two brains, brains absolute brains, innovators, creators, were Thomas Edison and Nikolai Tesla, right? Yes. Tesla, I think, was associated with Westinghouse Corporation and Thomas Edison with General Electric. There was an issue, and I'm not totally sure about this myself, there was a rivalry between AC and DC. Yeah. Alternative currents and whatever the D stands for, okay? Direct current. And these two guys were, there's a fascinating book about these two. These two guys were fighting each other on patterns and et cetera. But the sum total of it, their advent of their work brought in electricity into the picture, right? Yeah. We change everything, okay? The factory became electric. There's a movie in 2017 with, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch called the current war current war and it's uh, it's about what you're talking about the the fight between Tesla and Edison yeah. if people wanted to see that interesting that they ushered in the second industrial revolution which is ushered in by the advent of electricity right right and uh ACDC. That's the second industrial revolution. How did the worker relations happen there? What what was that like? We started seeing management be brought into this now. 
It was still primitive. The worker-employer relationships were still primitive. Unions hadn't started that much at all during that period. And the worker, it was all up to the employer as to what the worker got and which was very little, okay? Yeah. And it was the year of invention and less of concern for the employee. Yeah, no. I mean, probably there were some employers that thought, I can't wear these people out or else I'm going to have to hire new people. You know, uh, deaths are, you have empathy for the family, but more, but also slows productivity, right? When you're having to rehire workers. So there may have been some uh, thought to how do we, how do we, create a sustainable workforce for lack of a better term but for sure i don't think there was um a, a, a real amount of care for the for the workers yeah and then uh, the world war ii started you know and after the world war ii there was another inventor who changed everything henry ford when the automobile first came out, hmm? Hmm? and uh, that was another another paradigm shift in the nature of work. Hmm? Assembly lines. That's the third industrial revolution. Assembly lines. No, sorry, that was part of the second industrial. Part of the revolution. second, yeah, and and. Cars were early 1900s, right? Not, not. You said that after the World War II, but yeah, early 1900s. Early 1900s. This was second industrial revolution. Was the early 1900s? Yeah. And the unionization started first with Walter Ruther. Okay. Yeah. And AFL-CIO. AFL-CIO. They were both different labor organizations which emerged later, okay? And, uh, but there was still a battle going on between labor and management, okay? Yeah, I think from a management standpoint, you didn't, the, the managers of the bosses didn't feel the workers had rights. And so this the fighting the unions was a real fight. It was, uh, you know, you're you the workers are never happy um they want if they want motivation um i pay them don't i if they don't want to do the work then we'll find somebody else that will and so the the unions really had to fight this mentality um and, and from the point of view of the worker because of this rural to urban migration there were plenty of workers they can choose for hire and fire. Yeah. The demand, uh, it was a demand pull situation, you know. There was right. enough right. supply of labor that they could, they didn't have to treat the worker that well. Well, we even saw an impact on the family at this point, right? Um, even the first revolu industrial revolution Families were used to working together, and now the yeah. they're all going to the factory and they're being separated and, and working exactly. without each Better. other. A lot of social upheaval took place, 
in the first and second industrial revolution. Right. Bottom line is in both these phases of the industrial revolution, the worker welfare hmm, yeah. wasn't there. But some during this period, some enlightened employers started thinking about employee welfare and the early human resource function hmm, yeah. was called welfare, right? Mm -hmm. Welfare officers, they were called, okay? Mm -hmm. Where the man, employers hired these welfare officers to represent workers and worry about their welfare, you know, which is basically, why is it welfare? Because the worker need satisfaction was focused on the bottom of the Abraham Maslow's pyramid, okay? Yeah. Basically, sustenance, security, and physiological welfare. Right. So right. A, the people management was in the bottom of, was satisfying the bottom needs effectively. Not None of the higher needs, okay? Yeah. We were not concerned. There was no concern for employee engagement or satisfaction or motivation or morale or individual the individual human being who was the industrial worker the employer had no concern about them as human beings okay. yeah and, and i think you even have they were just workers in world war ii post-world war ii even into the um into the the cold war you have this idea of communism versus capitalism and of course the business owners in america the the west um we we feel like we have this power to be the individual um this is not a collective effort this is my self-actualization how do i uh engineer or build my workforce so that i produce such an amazing uh benefit to society that i am elevated as a um, a hero of my time, right? A, a titan of industry, and we see the third industrial revolution. You you mentioned this in our first video about the personal computer and how all of a sudden this uh, these this power is starting to be distributed, and so it's not just the very wealthy that can own a business, but you see small business owners. Uh, taking advantage of the American dream, uh, for example. But the, the, now talking about the third phase, okay? Uh -huh. Let's talk about the third phase. You put up the third phase slide. Yeah. Just 1960s to mid-1990s. We have that, the sexual yeah. revolution. Um, we have... I understand. Let's go back to the second. Okay. What has to be mentioned in the second is in the latter half of the second. Can you just Google and see when the Hawthorne studies were conducted? Yes. It's 1930s and 1940s. Just check on the Google. Hawthorne studies. Okay. When it was conducted. Uh, By Elton Mayo. Studies begin engineering so the hawthorne effect was the result of it right. um trying to see when they were but go ahead and make your so i think one elton mayo was a harvard 
academician who, for the first time, in Henry Ford's assembly plants, you know, mass production, which was the name of the thing, and name of the initiative, right? Mass produce electric uh, automobiles out of the assembly line. Produce, 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 effectiveness, production was the key thing uh, at the expense of the worker. So Elton Mayo, hmm? which year? 1927 to 1932. During that period, he got Henry Ford to agree to do some experiments. Uh, not Henry Ford, but the Western Electric Company. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the, for the first time, Elton Mayo studied the effect of the worker on the workplace. Okay. Yeah, they're saying here understanding the effect of the worker on the workplace. Productivity of employees depends heavily upon the satisfaction of the employees in their work situation. Right. That concept Elton Mayo created in his Hawthorne experiments. I think the classic experiment was the lighting experiment in the help Mayo studies. They found that if they improved the lighting, not only did worker production and satisfaction go up, those people who didn't have elevated lighting in other departments, their satisfaction also went up. Hmm. That's a very famous experiment in the Hawthorne studies. So there were so, people trying to, they're taking the workers' point of view, trying to um, help. Because when the worker understands the concept of productivity right. uh, and maybe feels themselves as a partner of the owner, uh, we see increased productivity, right? When the workers and the employer, employer are working together. The best way to say that for the Hawthorne studies first brought awareness, focus and awareness to the fact that the worker is a human being. Go figure. And, <laughs> hmm? Go figure, right? That they're actually human beings. They are human beings and they have they have psychological aspects of their lives and they they bring that to the job. That was the first realization. Yeah. And along with Hawthorne studies and the rapid unionization, employers started paying attention to the worker. Yeah. So we that see this added on till the nineteen sixties. Yeah. Which is another revolution, right? Yeah, the nineteen sixties because of the Vietnam War and the social consciousness in society and also the advent of mass uh, supercomputers and mainframe computers, okay? That changed the workplace a lot. Hmm? That changed. The computerization changed the workplace. Yeah. And we were slowly seeing the human side of the enterprise. That also during the 60s, Douglas McGregor wrote his book, The Human Side of the Enterprise, which is the psychological aspects of the worker. Worker, the psychological aspects 
of the working life, okay? That human beings are, have psych a psychological dimension, not just an efficiency and effective dimension. Yeah. And therefore, concern for human beings showed up. The, the function of people function started off, there was no function, then it became welfare officers, then it became personnel officers. Mm -hmm. And in the 60s, for the first time, because of the, Doug McGregor's book, The Human Side of the Enterprise, and the awareness of the human being started becoming prevalent among employers. So the profession changed its name to human resources. Hmm? Yeah, the, the bosses started realizing and understanding what you were saying was happening in the second industrial revolution, that if I treat my workers in a manner that, that they're human, uh, they'll work harder, they'll produce more, they'll stay with me longer. All those things are very positive things to a business That's owner. What, uh, Doug McGregor wrote in his book. Yeah. It's a seminal book of paradigm shifting book as the, on the human being, the working human being, okay? That there's that psychological dimension to the human being, behavioral dimension. And so, so what the behavior was a focus started in the 1960s. Yeah, so we don't need to be at war with our workforce, right? Exactly. This is not a, a contentious relationship. Perhaps we can work together. Uh, and so workers got more leverage. Uh, the, the balance of power between workers and bosses kind of leveled, leveled out. Um, not everybody, though, right? Uh, we still today even have business owners or, or managers that believe uh, in Winslow Taylor, Frederick Winslow Taylor, scientific management style of running a business. And uh, what that really, I, I remember when I first heard about Frederick Winslow, Winslow Taylor, you know, we'll go back really uh, to the, this era where they're, they're finding how do we more efficiently increase productivity by measuring the output of the employee and pushing them to maximize their productivity ability. And so if somebody got injured, uh, they didn't understand that they weren't human. But when we get that human side of it, you start realizing that uh, muscles wear out. When people get sick, they, you lose that productivity. And so we need to think about our workers as the as human beings that are actual have real lives um but still there are people today operating as if friends frederick winslow taylor scientific management is the optimal way to run a business you think there's still a lot of employers doing that i i think there is I, i'm i'm hopeful in when i teach management classes i have students that are close to becoming managers or they've been managers for a while and in some ways they 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 think that that's the way things used to be but i think uh this next generation of of people leaders of managers are understanding of uh workers being important that you need to to help 
workers not only be productive, um, care about their personal lives in ways, maybe discuss their career aspirations, um, even to the point that some managers talk to their employees about helping them get their next job outside of the company. Um, that seems like a, a really weird thing. Why would why would I, as a manager, help my employee go get another job? But what we find is when you have those um, conversations, the employee becomes much more loyal to the organization because they see their manager cares about them as a person. Uh, all of this, what you just said, is an understanding of the human side of the enterprise. And all I'm saying to you is Doug McGregor was the first scholar who wrote about this in his book, which is a seminal book on human, the worker, the role of the worker in the workplace. Yeah. And as a result of Doug McGregor's book in the 1960s, new fields came up in HR, you know, new fields, fields like organizational development, organizational behavior, these became, became disciplines, not only in businesses, but in academics areas. There was a lot of material developed, scholarly material developed in these fields. And specific HR functions like organizational development, organizational behavior, organizational effectiveness, the psychological dimensions of the worker became a great focus. Uh, in the third industrial revolution, okay, and that that was important, right? At at that time, um, not as relevant today. We'll talk about that in a second. You talked in uh, one of the early videos that we did about the inside-out view. So the human resources, even though saying what you're saying right now, what is the attitude of the human resources department that's becoming obsolete? Human resources was in that, in the Doug McGregor era, post Doug McGregor era, human resources was still, although there was concern on the soft, soft skills area of human resources, soft side of human resources, the human side of human resources, mm -hmm. there's still a force focus on efficiency and effectiveness. Hmm? The way I like to explain this in my classes, I put the job in the middle. In this era, there was a, the job in the middle, job. Hmm? Yeah. Duties, responsibilities, skills, and abilities. And the job is affected by the business strategy, the business needs one variable. The job was affected by hmm, the other variable was industrially engineering focus, which is effectiveness and efficiency. And then there's the psychological aspects of the work job, okay? That also impacts the, how the job is performed. Hmm? And then another new discipline came into place, which is called ergonomics you know, man-machine relationships, the workplace, the design of the workplace, the workflow and all that stuff. So during this period, the third industrial revolution, all of these new ideas 
psychological dimension of work, ergonomic man-machine relationships, all of these factors started affecting how management looked at the job hmm, that the worker yeah. did. That is during this third industrial revolution period. And now? Now, now we have a book that should now, will likely become the period, seminal book. Before we go to the now, during this period <laughs> also, and with rapid computerization, the nature of the workplace was workforce was changing from basically mechanical skills, etc., to knowledge based. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's another change that happened. Knowledge based. The economy is becoming more and more knowledge based because of the computer. Okay. So the workers' knowledge had to increase, upgraded, etc. So employers looked for knowledge workers, okay? more and more knowledge workers. All of this, so the third industrial revolution phase had a lot of actions, a lot of activities on the human side, right? Yeah. Now, the fourth industrial revolution is a whole new ball game because it is the digital life, okay? Digital life. And this is caused by the internet, okay? The rapid expansion of the internet and computing capabilities, data analytics, the internet of things, etc., etc. The workforce has become highly knowledgeable. It requires really new technological skills. And the coronavirus also affected it forced us to look at alternative ways of working other than going to work in a physical location. So the very nature of the employment relationship in all these three earlier three phases, there was an employer-employee relationship. And that relationship said the employer employees brought to the workplace their knowledge, their skills, their ability, their time. They contributed all these inputs to the workplace. And in exchange, the <clears throat> employers had to give, excuse me, <clears throat> had to give commensurate benef compensation, benefits, good working place, a chance for promotion and all that stuff. So that was an, the equation. The inputs brought to the workers, the outputs given to the workers by the employer, they have to be in balance. Equilibrium, if you want employee satisfaction and employee engagement. That was the thinking in the third phase. In the third phase from the 60s, I would say almost to, to the 2000s, okay? Yeah. 2000s technology started growing exponentially with the advent of the desktop computer, personal computer, internet, and all of these things. And it has exponent technological ex expansion has been exponential, and now we are in the digital world. Okay, and soon we are going to be in the metaverse world, which is the universe world, in, in the physical world, and the uh, digital world will be combined into one. Now that is a massive change 
in the environment of work, okay? Yeah. That requires the very nature of work and the very nature of the employment contract, which I just explained, to be reinvented. Because yeah, yeah. The, all of these changes have introduced, and the coronavirus, the four forces that we talk about in our book, has forced work to be done. Work can be done now differently, not in physical locations, not in one place. Yeah, I, I, I think the, you're mentioning that in the third industrial revolution era, um, without this hyperconnectivity or this um, information widely available, the the worker had to go to their boss to get information. Um, to I need to be able to do this task, but I lack this information, and so that relationship between the worker and the and their boss uh, was a power dynamics. You have something I need. I don't understand it. I need to come to you. And so uh, we've seen that flipped on its head. Um, workers have the information they need. Uh, they're now very self-reliant. They don't need their manager to give them tasks necessarily, but rather be a support structure. Um, the, the worker themselves are the, the key to the productivity now. And they can do it from anywhere, like you said. You just described one dimension of the change. This digital world, digitization of the workplace, uh, with the advent of the four forces, okay? Health security, digitization, and the other two forces right away. Hmm? Globalization and all of these things has changed the very nature of work. Work, going to work, the word going to work doesn't exist anymore. You work on demand, asynchronously, not synchronously, asynchronously, on demand, when needed, all of these things. And digitization, public health crisis, demographic changes has caused the, uprooted the very foundations of how work gets done. That's the fourth generation. That's the fourth phase of the industrial revolution. It's the digital revolution of the nature. Technology has become an integral part of the work. As such, as such, just like in the first three phases, employers, the employer-employee relationship needs a complete redo, complete redo, a completely different paradigm, okay? And that's what our book is all about. A functional approach to HR will, does not, is not relevant today in the digital world. Yeah, and I see HR that- HR has to be re-engineered. I see that, that Business owners are chasing uh, lower turnover rates. They're frustrated by it. They measure their HR departments based on how can you keep people around. Um, the turnover rates are infuriating to business owners because the cost of uh, rehiring is, is so expensive. 
and yet we see the demographic changes of uh, younger generations that they don't have uh, loyalty to their organizations, no, and maybe nor they should. Um, and so you have this uh, mass exodus of workers um, from organizations, and it's frustrating. Um, these HR departments are not keeping up with that. They they don't have the solution to this. The point to make here, the big picture point to make here, that we described the three phases of the Industrial Revolution. In every phase, there was an inflection point. Hmm? The first phase started with an inflection point, Iron Bridge. Second phase started with assembly line. Okay. Third phase with computerization. The fourth phase is ushered in by combining digital life and the physical life together. That is a major inflection point. Yeah. Point yeah. is the worker employer relationship, employee employer relationship, because of this inflection point, the digitization has to be given re engineered, has to be given a rethink, big time rethink. And that is what we are trying to do in this book. Yeah, mm -hmm. we'll have future videos on, on those solutions. Um, but really, the key point of today is that workers now today have tons of opportunities and options, right? We, the great resignation is real and people are moving around. And so employers are desperate to hire people. We don't, they don't have a mass amount of uh, people lining up to do their jobs. So they're doing all they can to keep their workers, but the workers have the, the, the leverage now they can go start their own business. They can become a YouTuber and make tons of money. Um, and so we really have to focus. If you're a business owner, you want to keep your workforce around, you need to treat them right. Um, if you treat them right, they're going to treat the customers right as well. <clears throat> and you'll have a, a very sustainable business model. But if we neglect our, our workforce, um, they're not going to stick around. I think I, the way to help focus this point and the reason why our book to dramatize this point I was just this weekend watching a TV quiz show and today in that particular quiz show there are four part six participants and the host the producers of the show bring interesting people hmm? Every weekend, the, the quiz shows every weekend, they bring interesting people hmm, in every episode. This episode, they brought in six people who are prominent figures in become who have become prominent and become wealthy because they have created a occupation, a profession, which is they are making big bucks with their internet presence. All of these six people make big bucks, not working for an employer, but creating 
successful self-employed occupations, living off the internet. They are internet influencers, influencers. This as a new occupation, a new way of working. We all have to realize the world of work has changed because of this digit amalgamation of the digital and physical life. And new occupations, the new way of working has all come up all over the place. And human resources cannot be human resources anymore. There is no resource. Okay, there are people specialists. Hmm? People and the workplace has to recognize people, treat the people right, acquire the right types of people, maintain the right types of people, develop the right types of people and their skills, redeploy pe people and their skills. It's a different view that we are proposing that people specialists in the workplace look at their profession, look at their work, Look at their role in the workplace. That's yeah. what this book is all about. As a result, it's a must-read for anybody who calls themselves people specialists. Yeah, and I think we see a, a, a fork in the road for employers. You either need to uh, understand what we're saying here, lead your people, um, find people leaders in the area of HR and, and in your management team that are focused on uh, seeing your workforce as people, really driving in purpose um, to the organization, helping them understand they are partners in the uh, organization. Or what you're gonna find is that you have to get comfortable with the high turnover, perhaps hire gig workers, um, find ways to do get the work done with automation or a, a temporary workforce um, and then really focus in on some key people that you keep on as your full-time workers again something we outline in the book um, you really have that crossroads uh, to think about that fork in the road perhaps some uh, companies will do a little bit of both they'll really um, treat their full-time employees right drive that purpose, uh, the sustainability, and then have some of the lower end tasks done by gig workers um, and get comfortable with that turnover. Get very fast at hiring, automate your hiring processes. Um, these are these are some of the secrets, uh, tips that we give in our book as well. I think uh, you said leadership. Mm -hmm. In this new era, the digital era, Hmm. There is no, there is leadership. The word leadership has been attached to the word collaboration. Absolutely. There's no more a difference between a leader and a follower. The leader and follower are one. People leadership is based on figuring out ways to effectively co collaborate as equal partners hmm, 
the employee and the employer have become equal collaborative partners in this new digital age, the fourth phase of the industrial revolution. The employment arrangement is not that of an employer-employee, but it is that of a collaboration of two stakeholders. Hmm? Yeah. That there's a lot is to, people leadership. There's a lot to unpack there too uh, for future videos, right? On uh, compensation. Some of you are thinking that right now. Oh my gosh, if we are equals, then we got to pay them equally. Well, maybe. Um, but we'll talk about how that works uh, Clearly, in future videos. You talk about compensation. The, in this new world, because if you have, if you are a expert, you have the skills to program in as alpha omega language or some language there is no reason you should earn you should earn any penny less than the ceo of the company if not Could be. if not if if necessary you should be earning much more than the ceo that's the collaborative that's i'm just giving you a you're, you're scaring all the ceos away from these uh, videos now dr bob you're turning it over on their head uh, but no, absolutely. The, the goal of the CEO is to um, create mass productivity, right? He's got to, they've got to move the uh, organization forward into a sustainable and productive, productive uh, organization. And why not? Why not pay people um, that produce uh, that money to keep them around? Very valuable. Let me just say, give you another personal anecdote. Hmm? The reason for change for human resources, we are we are mm, sounding the clarion call for change for the human resource field because everything is changing around us. I was recently approached by one university to teach a compensation class that was being taught. Some students, ex-students of mine recommended. They finally did all the paperwork to sign me on and they sent the course description, the current course description. Yeah. The current course description is designed for the third phase industrial revolution, second and third phase. That is HR thinking is lagging. Mm -hmm. It's really lagging where the world of work has moved to. So our book is trying to bring in the new thinking for the digital world, okay? That, yeah. that needs to exist in the people specialist organization. Absolutely. Well, uh, people specialists have to have a new thinking. Yep. Well, thank you for your time again, Dr. Bob, and thank you all for uh, tuning in. We have lots of uh, content um, that we're going to be um, sending out and so be sure to to uh, stay connected with us and uh, thank you again dr bob we will see you guys next time